Hello, this is Flita with Women Ministering, a place for women who are changing the world by sharing God's love. And today, we're going to talk about something that probably all of us struggle with, and that's confidence. Um, and what we're going to look at is that the Lord is my confidence. And I have a couple of questions. Do you know what it means to have confidence in God and believe in yourself as a Christian in ministry? Um, do you think it's wrong to have self-confidence? Um, I know that this is a kind of debated subject in a sense, in that some people, some Christians, feel that it's really wrong to even use the idea of self-confidence Excuse me, and that's not what I'm talking about here. It is confidence and self is involved, but it's not confidence in self. It's confidence that comes from self being in God. In ministry and in life, God confidence and that confidence I'm talking about go hand in hand. Combining God confidence with a really firm knowledge of who you are in God's eyes is going to naturally result in confidence, inner confidence. I didn't say self-confidence, but there is going to be a confidence there. When the very foundation of our life and breath is in God, when our faith is anchored in the work of Christ on the cross, then our life is no longer about self. It's about Jesus, and it's about his likeness, his life in us. That is the death of self. And so we say, the Lord is my confidence. The kind of confidence I'm referring to here is also not about self-love. Self-love, which yes, there is a commandment that talks about loving yourself. But that concept has been taken by the world and twisted so badly uh, that it doesn't even resemble anything that was originally in the word. And so that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is understanding how God sees you and then embracing that as the absolute truth that you will live by. You're going to love what God created. And what he created was you. Your confidence does not have to create pride. God confidence will not create pride. Self-confidence can. Because if your focus is on being like Jesus, then believing in the power of his work inside of you is going to cause humility, not pride, because it's nothing you did. It's what he is doing, and your job is just to cooperate with and believe in his work in you. And that brings a new inner strength. Did you know that God sees you as perfect and wonderful and that he rejoices over you with singing? I mean, it's the way he loves us is incredible. Zephaniah 3.17 in the voice says, The eternal, your God, is standing right here among you. And he is the champion who will rescue you. He will joyfully celebrate over you. He will rest in his love for you. He will joyfully sing because of you like a new husband. Now that's an amazing description. But when you reject yourself by hating or doubting yourself, then you're rejecting 
what you just read, that God considers you to be his best. He loves you with everything in him. But instead of that, you can find the power of confidence by allowing God's confidence and belief in you to overflow in your life. It's about believing in what God has done and is doing in and through you. He never stops. Once he starts, he's going to complete the work he began in you. And the only way for it to be stopped is if you absolutely set your feet and say, no, I will not do it. And that's a whole other thing that we're not talking about right here. But you do just need to remember that that's what it's about. He loves you, he believes in you, and he is working inside of you. Your belief in him creates a firm confidence in who you are in him. But when we focus on our flaws and our faults and our shortcomings and constantly compare ourselves to others, it means we've lost sight of the cleansing work of Jesus on the cross And our faith needs to be built up to remember that he did this for everyone. You know when he did it? He did it when we were all sinning, flawed, miserable human beings. You're no exception. I'm no exception. I have been made clean, pure, worthy, and beautiful in him, and so have you. We all need to revisit the cross regularly. We're about to revisit the work of the cross, and and a lot of people are already participating in Lenten practices, and that is wonderful and beautiful. Um, The work of the cross is the most incredible thing that mankind ever experienced, and they don't realize it, but it is. And we need to remind ourselves more than just once a year of the incredible work that Jesus did on the cross It wasn't just the sacrifice, but also the amazing transformation that it provided for us. So no matter how long you've served God or what you do in life, it can be easy to lose sight of the wonder of the cross. You might be in a ministry where you're continually reminding others, but you forget to take the time to remind yourself that you too are worthy, you too are pure, clean, beautiful in his eyes. And so sometimes we need to settle our heart or maybe resettle it by taking a trip back to the cross because it can help us get back the confidence that means no more questioning and doubting. So first, you need to settle this in your heart. You're a sinner. And so is every other human being who comes to this earth, except for one, the one, and that was Jesus. Romans 3.23 says, you see, all have sinned, and all their futile attempts to reach God in his glory fail. That's a settled fact. Without Jesus, every living being on this earth is united in sin. Are you a sinner saved by grace? Yep. And just like all who accept Christ, that's you. It's settled. Second, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you've been made new in him by his blood. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And again, this is now settled. 
There's no more doubt or confusion about whether or not you've been made new. You were a sinner in Christ. You accepted him as your savior. You have been made new. Third, settle what it means to be made new in Christ. Does it mean you'll never sin or struggle again? Or does it mean that nothing bad is ever going to happen? Absolutely not. Doesn't mean any of that. While we are made new in our spirit, we're still living in a fleshly body, and it is resisting all of our efforts to change. And that means that, yeah, you probably are going to sin. You might fail. You're going to have struggles, and bad things may happen. But it also means that we have the power to overcome the flesh and to live in the spirit with joy and peace if we choose to. John 8, 12, Jesus said, On another occasion, Jesus spoke to the crowds again, I am the light that shines through the cosmos. If you walk with me, you will thrive in the nourishing light that gives life and will not know darkness. That's the promise. We come out of the darkness into the light, and we can live there if we want to. And what that ultimately means is that we're overcomers. You can overcome the flesh and the devil, just not in your own strength. You can only do it through Christ. It's his strength. It's his victory, his blood, his love, his redemption. And the fact is, it's all about him. The great thing, though, is that he did it for us. We're going to go through trials and tribulations, but we do it with Jesus and the Holy Spirit taking us through to victory if we choose to. We may battle with finances or health or a variety of other human struggles. All Christians are experiencing the battle every day of their lives, and all Christians can be overcomers if they make the choice to do so. 1 John 5, 1 through 5 says, Everyone who trusts Jesus as the long-awaited anointed one is a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father cannot help but love the child fathered by him. Then how do we know if we truly love God's children? We love them if we love God and keep his commands. You see, to love God means that we keep his commands, and his commands don't weigh us down. Everything that has been fathered by God overcomes the corrupt world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is this person conquering the world? It is the one who truly trusts that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus the Anointed is the one who came by water and blood, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. The Spirit of God testifies to this truth because the Spirit is truth. And that's amazing. The victory that overcomes the world, the flesh, it's our faith. We can't have self-confidence because self-confidence is sand. We need to stop searching for it, stop reading about it, um, if you go to, to the Word, it always directs you to have putting your confidence and your trust in God, not in yourself. 
Self-confidence is sand that blows away with the first big wind. The rock we need to build our life on is Christ and not ourselves. Will you gain confidence and be built up and encouraged in that process? Of course you will, because that's all God does. He only does good things. He only does positive things that draw us into his will for us. When you're in any type of ministry, the need to exude confidence to others can just slowly swing you over into self-confidence, and you don't even realize it. It's a slow process, um, sort of like the frog in the pot principle. It just kind of starts happening because you need to, if you're telling someone this, this, and this, these are principles of the word and they work, you can't sit there and say, well, there's all these principles and I think they work. I've tried them and some of them do and some of them don't. Nobody is going to ever talk to you again um, if, when they need their faith built up if that's how you're going to project the word of God. And so, yes, you need to show confidence. And it can start out as God confidence and little by little it can switch itself over into self-confidence. And we're so focused on being there for everyone else that self just kind of slides into the driver's seat. And we don't realize it until at some point, exhaustion or maybe feeling completely inadequate push us into realizing what's happened. And it's like, oh, no, I, okay, God, and we have to come back. Now, ministry itself can also be a confidence killer because one minute you're feeling great, you believe you're right in the center of God's will, and the next minute there's a failure or a criticism, and it just knocks you down to the bottom and you start questioning yourself, your calling, your faith, and your ability to fulfill your calling. Um, maybe you did fail in an epic way. Does that mean that ministry's over for you? No, it doesn't have to mean that. It just means you're human. And if you did something wrong, make the trip to the cross, ask for forgiveness from God, and accept it. Repent. Go turn around and go the other way. Leave it at the foot of the cross and then go. Go to the people or the person or the people that you may have harmed or hurt and ask them for forgiveness. Don't make excuses to them or God. Just come clean and then go to Psalm 51 and be like David. David knew how to sin and get over it. <laughs> he confessed, repented, worshipped, and he got on with life and he didn't repeat his sin. It was true repentance. Take the time you need to heal and be fully restored, but don't give up unless God tells you to make a change. Proverbs 3.26 in the New American Standard says, For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. We need an awareness of the constant presence of work and work of God in our lives because that builds confidence. Confidence comes through awareness. Um, Wikipedia is usually not the greatest source of information, but I saw a definition of um, awareness that I really liked. 
It said that it's the ability to directly know and perceive, to feel or to be cognizant of events. More broadly, it is the state of being conscious of something. The concept is often synonymous to consciousness and is also understood as being consciousness itself. That's awareness. So we need to develop our awareness, our God confidence. Um, I'm also going to give you here the, the definition from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary of what confidence means. And we'll really look through and consider those thi these things and make it personal. First of all, confidence is a feeling or consciousness, it's an awareness, of one's powers or of reliance on one's circumstances. Um, it, confidence is faith or belief that one will act in a right, proper, or effective way. It's the quality or state of being certain. It's also a relation of trust or intimacy. Confidence is reliance on another's discretion. And it is also support, especially in a legislative body. So we're going to talk first about developing our spiritual awareness. The uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary said, a feeling or consciousness of one's power or of reliance on one's circumstances. The Lord is my confidence. Now, the first one might sound like self-confidence, being conscious of one's powers. But as a Christian, this is a feeling or consciousness of the one, the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of you. That's spiritual awareness. It's a consciousness of that power that is in you, literally. He's the one with all the power. And you can rely on him in your circumstances. That's the quality of spiritual awareness that we all need to cultivate. And in the midst of great difficulty, are you spiritually aware or are you self-aware? If you're self-aware, then you need to work on your spiritual awareness. The next is faith awareness. Faith or belief that you will act in the right way starts with faith that God will always act in the right way on your behalf. The Lord is my confidence. That's faith awareness. In the midst of stress, are you aware of faith or doubt? If you've just been criticized or faced rejection, what are you more aware of, your human feelings or your faith feelings? Now, our human feelings are real, but they don't always reflect, reflect the truth. Since God's truth isn't based on feelings, God's truth is based on who he is. He can't be anything other than truth and light and love and peace and justice and order and a hundred other things I could name. But you were made in his image, so you're also all of those things. Our struggle is the flesh, like we said, and it has to be subdued and continually put at the foot of the cross. We do As we do that, we build up our faith awareness. Our faith is in God, not in ourselves. Next is truth awareness, the quality or state of being certain. The Lord is my confidence. 
This is truth awareness. It comes into conflict with the flesh. The flesh doesn't care about the truth at all. It just cares about how it feels and what it wants. Are you certain as to what the truth is in the midst of your circumstances, especially if you're under stress or you've been rejected or hurt or there's illness or any number of things that have taken place in life? What are you conscious of in the midst of that circumstance? Are you conscious of the truth, God's truth? Now, two things are certain in the midst of anything. You're not alone and you're not condemned by God. So no matter what's happening around you, you need to build your truth awareness and rely on it, not yourself. In addition, uh, a constant awareness of the truth is going to increase our God confidence. It's just, that's how it's going to happen. What is the truth? Now, the word says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. And here's some other scriptures. John 8, 31 to 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. James 1.18 says, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among his creation. We were created in truth. Um, 1 John 5.20 and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John 15, 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. He's the spirit of truth and he lives inside of us. We need to build our truth awareness. Next is God's love awareness. One of the definitions of that was a relation of trust or intimacy. This is God's love awareness, and it is strictly the love of God. The Lord is my confidence, because the love of man is fickle. It's changing, it's swayed by circumstance, it's unstable. But the love of God is none of that. Um, just go to 1 Corinthians 13 and read through it, and you're going to have all the reminder you need of what the love of God really consists of. When you feel crushed and despairing, your God's love awareness can lift you up and heal. That's what his love does. His love will never hurt or harm. It can't because he only does good. What is your intimacy level with him right now? Maybe you need to find it again, or maybe you need to deepen it. 
Um, I have a study on the website that can help you to do exactly that. It's called Preparing Your Heart for More of God, and it is a 14-day self-paced course to help you prepare your heart for more of God. And you can just go to the website, womenministering.com, no caps, no spaces. Go there, and on the front page, there is a tab called WM Resources. Click on that, and you can go there and purchase that study. It's only $6, and you can download it and go through it at your own pace. And it has lots of um, additional resources with it, printouts for you to help you rehearse and remember and keep your heart as fertile ground for the love of God and to receive more of him. We also need relational awareness. One of the definitions was reliance on another's discretion. That's relational awareness. It's awareness of our relationship with the Holy Spirit because the Lord is our confidence. So whenever we're unsure, we can ask the Holy Spirit for help and guidance and he's going to give it to us. So that's reliance. And we can re- we you know, we tend to only rely on those people that we know, people who have proven to us that they're reliable. The Holy Spirit is always reliable. In our relationship with him, he's also discreet and reliable because that definition remembers mentioned discretion. What does discretion mean? We don't use that word a lot, but the definition of discreet is having or showing discernment or good judgment in conduct and especially in speech, capable of preserving prudent silence, unpretentious, modest, and it's an interesting quality in life. Again, as I said, we don't really talk about um, someone who we believe is discreet, um, but there are people out there who are. They know how to keep their mouths shut, how to keep a secret. They know not only what to say, but they know when to say it, and they don't have to speak and be heard. They're, they're fine with being quiet and just speaking when they really need to. The Holy Spirit is discreet. He isn't loud or showy. He doesn't draw attention to himself, even though he is God. He has perfect judgment as he guides us and as he walks with us through life. And he's only going to speak God's words to us. We can rely on his discretion, on the fact that he has discernment and good judgment in conduct and in life. He isn't going to embarrass or humiliate us, and we can rely on him completely. And we need to always be aware of that. We always need to have that relational awareness of ourselves and the Holy Spirit. Next is positional awareness. And there was a definition by Merriam-Webster, support, especially in a legislative body. This was a definition of confidence. And I know you're going to ask, what's that have to do with anything? But (laughs) have you ever been judged by somebody? I have, and it hurts. And the pain can be really hard to get over. It takes time. When somebody judges you, it it can really hurt. It can destroy a ministry. It can destroy a person. When we're unjustly judged and we feel like we don't have any advocate, we don't have anybody supporting us, 
it can be devastating. We know that we didn't do whatever we've been accused of or whatever the, you know, the accusation was, but we don't have anybody to support us. That's a horrible feeling. We do have an advocate, and it's Jesus. Now, what does that have to do with positional awareness? Well, let's say that you have been charged with a crime. You're innocent. You go to court without a lawyer, but your accuser is there with a lawyer, or maybe your accuser is a lawyer. Your position is completely different based on whether you have an, a lawyer or you don't when you're in court. I spent years sitting in court, and there's an old adage that says that only a fool has himself for a lawyer. And I can tell you that that's true. I spent a lot of time uh, watching and listening to people who decided to defend themselves. And with the exception of one, all the others were able to talk themselves right into a ticket or a conviction. I only ever saw one person defend himself in regard to a speeding ticket he'd been given, and he won. And so your position, your positional awareness is important because if you feel that things are coming at you and it's unjust and it's unfair and you have no advocate, you have no way to defend yourself, it can be really terrible. But if you have, if you know, if you're aware of your position in Christ and that he is there defending you, it may not silence the voice of the people around you, but it does help you know where you truly stand because no human judgment against us can stand or even be brought before God. Why? Because Jesus' blood has covered us. And so a person here on earth might cry out really loud for us to be judged. They've judged us. They want others to as well. And you know what Jesus says? He says, no. And remembering that is positional awareness. The Lord is my confidence. Our position before God never changes because we're in Christ. Nothing changed. It was words that changed. Words coming into our ears changed. But who we are and where we stand in Christ never changes. No judgment on earth can change that. We have the best lawyer who ever lived, and there is no one who can come against him and win. He's in heaven right now advocating to God on our behalf. He died for us, and now he's living to be our advocate in heaven. And in addition to that, he took our judgment. It doesn't matter what judgment some person is throwing at it, at us. Um, Jesus took it already. Our job is to remember our position. Our positional awareness is important. It matters. No earthly judgment supersedes what Jesus did. Nothing can change it. No words from any human on earth or any devil can erase the full and complete forgiveness that you are living in at this moment. 
1 John 2, 1 in the voice says, You are my little children, so I'm writing these things to help you avoid sin. If, however, any believer does sin, we have a high-powered defense lawyer, Jesus the Anointed, the Righteous, arguing on our behalf before the Father. Now, yes, this scripture is talking about personal sin, but the concept is the same. Jesus is our advocate. He's there. If the enemy is screaming accusations, Jesus is in front of God saying, nope, got it covered by my blood. And so we need to remember that. Jesus is our advocate who is always there on our behalf. Now, I want to give you the perfect example of God confidence. I want to give you one person who's the perfect example of having God confidence that results in inner strength. And that person is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary was a teenager, uh, most likely a teenager, when she was visited by an angel who told her something that no one on earth had ever heard before. Yes, there had been prophecy about a virgin conceiving and giving birth to a child. But nobody before Mary had been told directly, you are the one. You are going to conceive and give birth to the Son of God. She was a teenager when that happened. She was probably poor. She was already engaged to be married. But yet here she is. She barely flinched when this angel appeared to her. I mean, can you imagine the, the awe? I, I just... It would be incredible. At the time that this happened, engagements meant that you were almost married. An engagement could only be ended by divorce, and women couldn't initiate divorce. So Mary knew that if she had a supernatural con uh, conception, and Jesus found, or Jesus, if Joseph found out that she was carrying a child, that he was not the father of, he could have divorced her. So she knew that when all this happened. And yet her response to being told that she would conceive and give birth to the Son of God was this. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Oh my goodness, such a, an amazing response. That is faith. And it's faith whose fruit is confidence. Mary didn't protest. She could have. She could have said, well, I can't do this. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I'm engaged. This is going to ruin my life. I'm too weak and insignificant to do this. Nope. Only thing she had a question about was how a virgin could bear a child. She just wasn't too sure how that was going to happen. But yet, when the angel told her how, she was like, oh, okay. Be it done, may it be done to me according to your word. What she did understand was that if God said it, she could do it. She had a total awareness of the power of God to carry her through any situation. All she wanted to know was how it was going to happen. Her awareness of the totality of God's will, his ways, his word, and his love gave her complete trust and confidence that she could do it. 
we can live in that same confidence. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Just that simple. And that was how simple and profound Mary's faith was. God confidence results in strength to fulfill his will. 1 John 5.14-15 in the Holman uh, translation says, Now this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him for. We need sometimes to regain our God confidence. I understand that life can be rough and it's normal to go through ups and downs in our walk of faith. And so we shouldn't lose our confidence because of that. A few months ago, something was said to me that totally shook my confidence in what I was doing. And I really had to work through it. It took me a couple of weeks to work through what had been said to me. Um, and I had to awaken my spiritual awareness. I had to activate my faith awareness. I had to rehearse my truth awareness and stir up my love awareness. And I had to remind myself about my relational and positional awareness. I was shaken by a comment from someone I trusted and looked to that basically told me to do something different than what God was telling me to do. It was kind of a, you know, well, you need to change this, and if not, then you probably just need to quit. And, yeah, it was just, it was a, a statement that really shook me. But by standing on what I knew God was saying to me, I regained my God confidence. So I want to challenge you to sharpen your awareness of all that Christ is in you, for you, to you. You don't need to worry about self-confidence because your faith is going to give you all that you need. Um, on the website, womenministering.com, um, I have scripture pages for all six areas of awareness, spiritual, faith, truth, God's love, relational, and positional. You can download them and print them and then refer to them anytime you need them in order to regain your confidence or to strengthen an area of awareness that maybe has just wasted away a little bit. So I really encourage you to go there and click on that and download it. They're free. And so I just want to encourage you to really go back over it and think about those areas of awareness and how they build God confidence along with inner strength in you. And I thank you, and I will see you again very soon, and God bless.